Welcome to Voices of CFMA, Construction Financial Management Association's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders. I'm your host, Sal Marino, CFMA's Marketing and Content Manager. This month, I am joined by Tara LaPerry. Tara is a licensed CPA, has earned her CCIFP designation, and joins us today to offer a look inside the mind of mental illness and shares what has been helpful navigating stress in the workplace. Tara, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, you ready to just jump right into this? Get oh, I'm going? so ready. So ready. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got started in the industry? Well, I've been fascinated by construction and particularly earthwork and heavy equipment for as long as I can remember. And growing up every summer, my brother and cousins and I would stay a few days and run wild on the mountain where my grandpa lived. And he was a timber faller and always had heavy equipment on the property for excavation work. One of the most impactful memories is when we would drive the four-wheelers down to the river. There's this one corner on the road, it's concave steep grade, and it had been worked over to make the road passable through to the river. And the person that helped to make that road passable was my grandpa. And every time we would round the corner, I'd picture my grandpa fearless on top of the cliff and his equipment all eyes on him doing this very dangerous work, appearing effortless. And I was so proud knowing that my grandpa literally moved a mountain. He was a legendary worker and he was unstoppable. But after our fun at the river, we'd go back to the house and it was whiskey and Coke for the rest of the day. And the smell of whiskey and Coke was very nostalgic for me. And it was the beginning of my exposure to alcohol. And I'll circle back to how alcohol has impacted my life as an adult as we make our way through this conversation. That's awesome. Did, did you start working in construction at a young age? No, throughout high school, I worked for an oral surgeon's office, and I really admired the surgical assistants that I worked with, and they would tell me so often, if I could do it all over again, I'd become a dental hygienist. <laughs> so I became a dental hygienist. And the interesting thing, though, is that during my time at the oral surgeon's office, I never looked inside a person's mouth. And it turns out the side of saliva makes me want to throw up. So after five years of dry heaving eight hours a day and nearly passing out every time I had to insert a needle into someone's mouth, I figured it was time for a career change. And did you, did you always want to be an accountant or was this always something in the back of your mind? I knew I needed to make a change and I had no idea what else I would do. So I'd casually ask my patients about their professions and what they enjoyed and what they didn't. And the only professionals that did not have negative feedback about their job were accountants. And I thought, hey, I know how to add and subtract. I'd get to be by myself for most of the day, isolated in a cubicle. And as an extreme introvert, that was the selling point for me. I bet. How, so how long was the transition from being a dental hygienist to going into a CPA? Well, I found a program at a local university that offered a post-bachelor certificate in accounting. And I figured if I pushed hard, I can complete the program in nine months. And thankfully, I was hired as a busy season tax intern just a few months after beginning classwork at the university. And the internship led me to a full-time position working for a great CPA firm, Moss Adams, and they deserve recognition for any success that I have as a CPA because they instilled in me this level of quality that has become the foundation of my professional approach, not just as I create work papers, but as I hold others and myself cash compassionately accountable, always striving for continuous improvement. But it was actually in late September of that year, as I was getting ready for work, my grandma knocked on my door and she asked if she could talk to me. And I was running late as always. And I'm like, seriously, right now? And she said, yes. And that's when she told me that my cousin Russ took his life the night before. 
And the most profound second after hearing those words was my first unfiltered feeling was anger that he beat me to it. My family could not handle two suicides. But I made a promise to myself after Russ died that suicide would not be the way that my life ended. And at the time I made that promise, I did not know how complex my situation was or the reality or the effort or time to reach mental wellness as my journey to healing was not as simple as society made it sound. So how long were you having thoughts of suicide for? Well, I struggled with suicidal thoughts since I was in high school. There were times that were more intense than others. And it wasn't until years later that I found out that my brain is not constructed like a normal healthy brain. And some of my mental health challenges are genetic in some life circumstances, but I do have a lifelong diagnosis of a serious mental illness. And to describe the severity, one in five with my same diagnosis take their life. So supporting mental wellness for me begins from the moment I wake up until the moment I fall asleep. It is the focus of my life and discovering new tools and resources to support mental toughness has truly become a passion, which is a leading statement for me to discuss how I came to CFMA. Yes, please. So fast forward a few more years, I was settling into an accounting position in the construction industry. And by this time I was a licensed CPA and needed to fulfill my continuing education credits. I also love traveling. So I convinced my boss to send me to Nashville, Tennessee to attend the AICPA construction and real estate conference. And the first booth that I came to at the exhibit hall was the CFMA booth. And there was a wallet card on the table and it read, the construction industry has the highest rate of suicide. And inside the card listed warning signs. And I instantly thought of my cousin Russ and the last time I saw him, which was about two weeks before he took his life. And in my mind, I was replaying the family barbecue, the campfire stories, and what signs were there. And the wallet card was my first exposure to mental health concerns in the construction industry. And next to the wallet card was the CFMA Building Profits magazine. And I turned to the first page and it was Stuart Binstock's CEO message of um, suicide prevention is a safety and health priority. And I walked to my hotel room and I read it. And the sentence that resonated most with me is, Mental well-being of your company's workforce is equally important as their physical well-being. If they are struggling with mental health issues, then they may ignore all of your efforts to protect them and could be a danger to themselves and others. And I would personally extend that to say, when a person is not mentally well, it can certainly impact decision-making abilities and increase coworker conflicts and performance issues in the office and in the field, placing a wide variety of risks on the company. And I felt an instant connection to CFMA this professional association that connected my personal passion and mental wellness as I learned to navigate life as a functioning professional with a serious mental illness. And after coming to CFMA and having an understanding that I am in this industry with mental health challenges and I have my own mental health challenges, I felt this sense of responsibility and opportunity to share my diagnosis with a close coworker. And our daily work greatly depended on each other's performance. And sometimes I can be very moody and fiery. And I thought it might be helpful for those times we encounter conflict that negative outcomes could be avoided if there was an understanding of what I'm bringing with me, which is my mind and all of its thoughts. And after I shared my diagnosis and how it can impact my performance, it was then that he told me about his history and how alcohol impacted his life. And we both started laughing because we knew that there was this bond that was formed from total acceptance. 
we are two people that are as real as it gets. He welcomed my whole self, and that is such a rare gift. Wow. How great to have that level of openness, too, with your coworker. So how has that total acceptance changed how you work? Now, when we are approaching conflict or a difficult situation, I can be very transparent and say, hey, my mind is not well. I can't show up for you in this moment in the way that you expect me to. I say what I need for my ability to show up professionally, and typically I need space so I can breathe and get really grounded and return to stability. And sometimes I simply need a 10-minute break where I can turn on a meditation app or the power of intentional breath work for 10 minutes to study the mind will cultivate profound results. So what does the process of getting help look like to you? Like, can you put that into words? As I was newly diagnosed um, with my mental illness, I was volunteering at a local soup kitchen and with patrons that acted out behavioral issues at various stages of their mental health disorders. And the volunteers would say, he just needs help she just needs help. And I would think, what is help? Who is help? Where's help? When do they get help? Let's define what hope really is. I wanted to say to them, it is a possibility that when a person is desperately seeking help, help is going to be hiding. It is possible that a person will go to a counselor and the counselor will say, you need to see a doctor. And the doctor will say, you need to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist will say, you need medication. And it is possible that when people desperately want to quit drinking, they will call several rehab facilities and won't even get a call back. And I know that these are all very real possibilities because all of these possibilities came true for me. For 15 years, I did not want to live. I did not want help. And every time I had suicidal thoughts, I would literally drown them with alcohol until I pass out. And it wasn't until I got married that I actually wanted to live. It took me 15 years to ask for help. And when I finally did, I was a patient in my doctor's office and I told her I did not want to live. I would want to die. She said, hang in there. It's going to be three months until you'll be able to see a psychiatrist. I was speechless. What was I supposed to say? How could I have been any more clear that I urgently needed help? And she simply released me into the waiting room of life for three months until the next doctor would see me. It took everything I had to ask for help. And it was a punch in the gut to hear that help was not ready to see me. There is so much hurting and suffering in this world, and it's been palpable since the pandemic. And I know I'm not alone when I say that I am hurt by this world. And most often I hear the stories told secondhand after a life is lost. And sometimes I lose myself in the thoughts of, why did this happen? What was going through the mind of this person that lost life to suicide? And then I remember, oh yeah, I know, because I've thought about it and I've attempted it. And it was when I was at my weakest that I was laying on the stretcher in my driveway and I kept my eyes closed to keep the raindrops out. It was better that way. I didn't want to see how many neighbors were watching. And the paramedics covered my body with the tarp to keep me dry. And that's when my mom arrived. And she asked if I was still alive. I couldn't move. And all I was thinking was, why did I do this? I asked for help and nobody saved me. How could I have saved myself? 
and I share my story as a lived experience in an area with a major lack of access to mental health care. And the society definition of help, seeing a counselor, a doctor, psychiatrist, taking medication, a hospital rehab, they simply might not be available when help is needed. <clears throat> but I did everything that society told me to do, and I could not find the help that they kept telling me was there. I kept thinking help would be right around the corner, but it wasn't. And I realized I had to become my own advocate and I had to be the help that I've been searching for all these years. I had to learn to save myself. So what would you say to somebody who doesn't feel mentally well um, and is sort of in that waiting room of life? Well, we can live a long time without exercising. We can live weeks without food. We can even survive a few days without water and even more days without sleep. But it's not likely that a person will live without breathing for only four to six minutes. And when we talk about mental health, it's essential to include the quality of our breathing with as much emphasis for total well-being as we do for sleep, nutrition, and exercise. And the mind states show up in the body first. So practicing mindfulness and sensory awareness, what is happening in the body? What does it feel like to be me in this moment? And what does that tell me about what might happen next? Or what that feeling might guide me to do to produce the best possible outcome? I was six months sober and all it took was one drink for me to invite the devil to join me in my mind and let me down a path of absolute destruction. What would have been the outcome if, instead of starting that one drink, I stepped outside my house, intentionally living with all my senses, welcoming all the feelings? What if I paused and intentionally focusing on the crisp air as I breathed in through my nostrils and feeling the inhalation of life as my lungs expand, even appreciating the cool touch of the tear running down my cheek, grateful for the opportunity to grow through every experience in life, every feeling being welcomed as a necessity for living fully. What if I tasted the mint or basil I was growing what if I lit a candle and smiled at the sweet smell of mango and citrus, reminiscing of memories traveling to sunny beaches? Would I have distracted my thoughts enough so I would not know what the vibration of a raindrop feels like when I'm laying under a tarp in my driveway? When I am mindful of my breath and the sensations that are happening in my body, I can label the feelings that are happening in me and will provide clarity for how to skillfully move forward. And in the workplace, one of the most common sensory perceptions that triggers my mind is when I'm feeling hot. My body is trained to think, hey, I might make a poor decision next because I'm feeling very fiery and hot right now. And I know I need to look at my Fitbit and likely my heart rate monitor will be over 100 and I'm probably going to explode in a minute. And I pause my words. I look around the room and I notice the colors, the smells, the sounds. And I take a four second inhale and an eight second exhale. And I continue to simply breathe until my heart rate monitor is back to 70. Or if I'm all alone, I'll activate the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is the main nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system. And it controls specific body functions such as your heart rate. It's extremely powerful, but I don't do it around other people because I look silly doing it. But to activate the vagus nerve, which will shift from that flight or fight response to the rest and digest calming response. So I pronounce the letter V as I breathe out. 
but I'd highly recommend Googling it because it's very effective. But pressing pause to breathe for 30 seconds can save relationships. It can prevent impulsive decisions and it can cultivate a peaceful state of being and guide wise action. And we really underestimate how our words influence each other. And the goal for breathwork and mindfulness in the workplace is to cultivate resilience to stressful events. Improving conflict management, self-management, and de-escalating heated conversations. Wow. Well, all right. You just, you've given me another resource. Now I have to Google after the podcast and, uh, cause this sounds amazing. Um, what other resources have you found to be most influential? Well, there's this Ted talk that my counselor told me about. It's a Ted talk when Glennon Doyle shares her lessons from the mental hospital. I think there's over 5 million views at this point. So we know it's really great, but it's so good for encouragement when I'm feeling like I'm the only one that has mental health and addiction issues. And my greatest takeaway is to just show up, do the next right thing. And she states so beautifully that feeling the feelings guides us what to do next. And one example she uses is that if you are feeling lonely, we need to find connection. And I've subconsciously done this during the most isolated times in my life, typically at night, and I'm starting to feel depressed. I'll drive to a home improvement store and I call it Lowe's therapy. I walk the perimeter of the store and it's not likely that I'll make an impulse buy for lumber, but I walk past people and I think you're a person living in this crazy world, just like me. And just this awareness of our interbeing, both living in this world can create a sense of connection. And going back to my science background, the Huberman Lab podcast is gold for someone that has a desire to learn more about the science behind the brain, body, and behavior connection. And Andrew Huberman is a professor of neurobiology at Stanford School of Medicine. And this is a word-for-word description from his podcast. The Huberman Lab podcast discusses neuroscience how our brain and its connections with the organs of our body control our perceptions, our behaviors, and our health. And most of the podcasts are centered around highly credible science-based research that is current, relevant, and useful for everyday life for most people. And one of the most recent podcasts, which is number 86, titled, What Alcohol Does to Your Body, Brain, and Health. It was absolutely fascinating. In my words, I would describe the podcast as an opportunity to understand what is happening in the brain and the body and how sleep, nutrition, and exercise is so important to learn how to take care of yourself and your mind. And if you increase your efforts in one area, you are really likely to increase it in another. Well, you've given me a lot of homework to do now. This is great. I have a lot of things to look up. Switch gears a little bit and let's talk about advice. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, CFMA gets the credit for the best advice I've been given. I attended the CFMA conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and I returned to the hotel after my nightly walk. And I would read the words by Martin Luther King Jr. beautifully written on the side of the building. If you can't fly, then run. And if you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And it's September here in the Pacific Northwest. And the leaves are starting to take on a new color and we are nearing the change of the season. And it reminds me that the one thing I can always count on in life is change. And it's also Suicide Prevention Month. And I think about how mental health is a constant in my life. It's the constant change from the good days to the bad days. And when I feel stuck and trapped in this mind of mine that creates these stories that may be fiction or nonfiction, I remind myself that these mind states will change too. 
And now that I'm talking about living with a functional life with a serious mental illness and how it impacts my life every day, I can offer understanding for those times when I can't show up in the way that someone might expect me to. And instead of shaming myself or feeling inadequate, I can offer an honest explanation of what it's really like for me to show up in this world. And even though now I have this best case scenario support team, I still struggle. I still get crazy anxiety. And I can finally describe what's happening to me as I bail out last minute to a social event. And even if that's at a family function. And before I allowed others to know about my mental illness, I would go through this apology in my mind that I never actually shared with the host of the party, but it would go something like this. Please forgive me and understand that for me to get in my car, I've been lost in my own home, walking circles, just trying to find the front door, holding ice to my puffy eyes to reduce the swelling that grows as I cry because I'm so scared to leave my house. That I drove myself all the way to your house, but I couldn't get out of my car because I just had a panic attack at the intersection one mile away from your house. I'm sorry, my brother, my niece and my nephew, that I couldn't give you a hug on your birthday. As I was trying to find the front door at my house, I forgot to grab my mask to hide my serious mental illness. And you were probably thinking, again? She didn't show up again? But what I wanted to say to you was not I was in your driveway was that I am here and I love you and I hope you like your gift. I'll leave it at your front door. You might not see me, but my heart is there and I'm just here in this space where I feel safe. So my focus is to just show up and take the next step forward. Or when I'm having an anxiety attack, I crawl, whatever it takes. I just keep moving forward and it gets, you know, and it gets me as close as I can to showing up. Uh, what about advice that you'd give to others? Do you have anything? Well, throughout my five years of researching mental wellness and mindfulness, many therapy sessions and doctor appointments, I've experienced that it is possible to cultivate an internal refuge of peace, an incredible capacity to self-manage my behavior and responses to life. And the pandemic has shown me that life doesn't get easier. I only become more resilient to stressful life events. Suffering and hurting doesn't end. But I've learned to live with it as that's what makes me whole to experience all of life, which is the only way that I've learned to move forward when I accept my life for all that it is without denying any part of my history. And as I do so much internal work on myself, I've expanded that recently to look inside other people. And I found these words of wisdom sitting on a bench by a lake. And it said, listen with the ear of your heart. And that guidance has transformed my relationships in the last few months. And when I'm faced with a conflict and I think that other parties not showing up with a reasonable response, I can step back and expand my lens of understanding and listen to it all. What is happening to this person under these irrational words? What external elements is this person bringing to this conflict? Tara, it has been so great to talk to you today. Uh, do you have any final words before we sign off? Yes, going back to childhood, because those memories can be so profound. My great-grandmother had this wood-framed cross-stitch project of a serenity prayer. And I never knew its significance until I met addiction. But even at a young age, I knew that that message was special. And I always like to offer the serenity prayer for all those who haven't heard it, and especially when talking about mental health, and to honor all those who know addiction and whose pain was too heavy to hold. It goes, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, Sal and CFMA. I am so honored to be a member and to have held space on this very special topic. So much gratitude. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Voices of CFMA. To learn more about how you can help prevent suicide in the construction industry, please visit the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention at preventconstructionsuicide.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe and share on social media. And if you're interested in learning more about the Construction Financial Management Association, check out cfma.org.